This one's nice. <laughs> this one's nice too. Oh, this one's nice. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Bottle Rocket. I'm Gav. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like Bottle Rocket, we're not really criminals, but we've got to have a dream. And we do dream. They usually leave us all hot and sticky though. Oh god. Oh, it was sorry, so much better just the first bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think so. You can never just leave it, can you? Just... Uh, no, that's my problem. I can never just leave it, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, so if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your socks because they're about to be blown off. Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. But there'll also be a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some questionable impressions, some subpar xylophone playing, some silly sound effects and a lot of banter. This week's film on trial, as I said before, is Bottle Rocket. <laughs> That's apt. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Yeah. one of the okay. best ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not, it's not a very extensive list, though, is it? And just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen it yet, it's been out for about 23 years now, so you've got no excuse, really. But if you still haven't seen it, you can either listen to this after you watch it or just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz. This week, supposedly brought to us by Alex, but I think Joel will be acting as some sort of conduit, um, which we'll highlight in the comments section below. So before we do go on, our last film on trial was Sin City. Ooh la la. <laughs> Dave, you uh, judged that trial and you decided that it should be placed on the shit list. Now you've since gone and rewatched the film after mm-hmm. a long time. Yep. Do you think you made the right call? Yeah, I think I did. It, based on the arguments that were put forward to me, it was the correct call to make. And you know, I went back to watch Sin City. I remember really enjoying it at the time when I first saw it. And it's one of those films, I don't think it's ever going to be as good as you remember it. And I think most people who, who may object to Sin City winding up on the shit list will have to just go back and take a look at it. It's not as good as you remember. It's really not. I understood where Alex was coming from. I know a lot of his points are quite hard to listen to um, in terms of, you know, they were really quite dark subject matter. It was harder to hear him speak about it than it was to see in the film, though, because it is so ludicrous. It's so far-fetched mm. and so comic book. It actually doesn't have the same impact. But when someone spells it out for you and does really break down what it is you're watching on screen it's like actually yeah it is particularly dark particularly graphic unpleasant subject matter and yeah it it is quite an unpleasant film in many ways but also i stand by it going on the shit list because i'd forgotten how bad a lot of the performances were i know everyone talks about mickey rourke being fantastic and he was and everyone talks about clive owen not being very good at all and i stand by that he's not (laughs) but the majority of the cast i'd say most of them do fall flat and I do think a lot of that's down to, you know, it, it, the script. There's some gems in there, but the, it's quite naff. Yeah. The script isn't that good. And some of the performances fall flat as well because of that. So, you know what? If anyone objects to Sin City going on the shit list, go back, take a look. You'll be surprised. It's not as good as you remember. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Very extensive breakdown there. Thank you. I, uh, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head as <laughs> yeah, I was watching. Yeah. Well done. Usually we all just go like, yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Pass it straight off. Okay, so before we go into the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. (laughs) 
what the fuck is that, man? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> what was that it? rings a bell. I know that. <laughs> I bolted up big time, but Dave, any any? No, it, it, it sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. Message in a bottle by oh. the police. <laughs> Didn't I use that before? Yeah, you've remember. used that before. That's right. Freaking hell. Oh, God, I'm getting tired now. Okay, so uh, here we just basically go around the circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week as decided by us. So starting with... Number one, it's fair to say that most people webbed in their pants last week when the trailer for Spider-Man Jesus Far Christ. From... What? Keep it civil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I the market is explicit, but we're five minutes in. even higher. Listen, keep, I, keep it We're clean. five minutes in and already there's been two references to webbing in your pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? I just can't talk about ejaculate anymore. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Anyway, this uh, trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home was released. Joel, you're a huge Marvel fan. What did you think of, this, of the trailer? I liked it. Good. <laughs> Short and sweet. <laughs> now, some people criticised it because they think that it gave far too much away about the ending of Endgame. Uh, both, you know, Spider-Man and Nick Fury surviving, meaning that maybe all of the deaths will, re- will be reversed. But a lot of people also said that it could be perhaps set before Infinity War, or perhaps it's in an alternate timeline. So, so what do you reckon? Uh, well, it's it's definitely set after Endgame. That's confirmed. Oh, has it? Um, but I don't think it gives too much away. I uh, kind of liked it, and I think a lot of the trailers in the past with Marvel, they've put stuff in the trailers that hasn't been in the final film. Um, so there's always that possibility. But I know there are certain things like um, there was like a, a scene where. Uh, Peter Parker gets like a, a big novelty check from Stark on the Stark Foundation and it's signed by Pepper Potts rather than Tony Stark so yeah. some people were alluding to the fact that you know maybe Tony doesn't make it out but Marvel will show you what they want you to see that's what I think about it I don't think they'll reveal anything that is even you know remotely spoiler related to Endgame yeah I, t- I quite like the fact that Marvel just seem to always be on it I mean, as soon as the buzz dies down for one thing, they're just constantly showing something else and generating more buzz. It's just a constant hype machine. Like, as soon as Infinity War finished, it was right, okay, here we go, Ant-Man and Wasp. As soon as that was finished, trailer for uh, Captain Marvel, as soon as the buzz died down for that, um, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home. It just seems to constantly be, like, it's like a big hype machine that's constantly spinning. Yeah, it's like, it is a full-time job, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And even just keeping up with what's coming out as well, I'm... I mean, I'm totally lost on Marvel stuff again. Well, I think the next one out is is Captain Marvel, followed by Avengers Infinity War Part 2 Endgame, and then it's Spider-Man Far From Home. But what Joel alluded to before, with little sort of Easter eggs, I really like that about the trailer. You could actually watch a couple of YouTube videos of people breaking down scene by scene the trailer of Spider-Man Far From Home and there's some great easter eggs in like for example Peter Parker is taking Uncle Ben's suitcase with him on holiday as Joel said before the one with the big novelty check um, the Avengers Tower is under reconstruction maybe you know that, that's alluding to the fact that it gets absolutely battered in Endgame or perhaps it's being turned into the Baxter building from Fantastic Four you know who, who knows but I thought on the whole, we always have a go at trailers revealing too much. I don't think it revealed too much, but I'm still really interested, to be honest. So, so yeah, anyway, moving on. Speaking of which, the rights to Fantastic Four will be moving over to Disney. And with that, back to Marvel. As early as the start of March, as the Disney-Fox merger draws to a close, 
So did you like that segue, by the way, guys? Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was just was as good as the segue we talked about when we, we spoke about the guy who invented the segue. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good segue. Oh, that was a, a long way ago. It was, wasn't long it? Time. Yeah, a long time ago. Anyway, anyway, off, off topic. So we've spoken a lot about this merger before with regards to you know what the Marvel Cinematic Universe landscape will look like going forward. However, we haven't spoken about a lot of other Fox property rights that are going to be moving over to Disney. For example, um, apparently... Disney are really eager to get their hands on some of the most popular Fox franchises like Alien, Predator, Die Hard, Kingsman, and surprisingly Home Alone. So Dave, um, you're a fan of some of those franchises. Are you happy at the thought of what Disney could do with these franchises and the thought of possible remakes or reboots? Yeah, I think so. I think this could be good for a lot of the um, the Fox back catalogue. I think Disney, like we were just talking about how on it Marvel are, and that, that's through Disney, let's be honest, their, their merger with Disney. Um you know, it's, it could be really good. They've got a great marketing department and they're happy to churn out these films. As long as they're of decent quality, it should be good. But there is a bit of a downside to Fox being sold over to Disney and it comes in the shape of the Marvel Universe. Obviously, Sony have had their own Marvel films. They've had the X-Men films. They've had Deadpool and uh, other such. I think Fantastic Four was Batman theirs. Well. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and all these. Um, this could be the end of them, according to this new merger, um, as Marvel and Disney could essentially hit reboot on everything. So obviously there's there going to be another Deadpool film in the uh, pipeline, uh, X-Force it was going to be. That is now, there's some serious doubt mm. as to whether the Deadpool franchise will continue or not, which I think would be a huge shame. You know, there's some things in there you're not too sorry to see the end of. It's like X-Men, I think, have gone as far as it can go. Maybe it is time to call it a day and hit reboot on that. But um, I think it would be a shame if we lost Deadpool, especially with the, the team that have, are working on that at the moment. I think that's a gem. And I think they'd be making a huge mistake to get rid of it. Well, I, th- I did read somewhere that, that, that Disney were open to the fact of using the same Deadpool <laughs> cast and continuing Deadpool as an R-rated film it going could, forward. It could, it the, could. The nail's not in the coffin yet. You know, it could still be saved, but there is some serious doubt and there's some real questions whether it will. Because I know a lot of the, uh, the X-Men spin-offs, like Gambit, will not be happening now. We will not be getting a Gambit spin-off. Uh, we will not be getting a Kitty Pride movie. Mm. So there's a lot of things that have just been completely shelved and maybe will be redone at a later date by Disney. But... Deadpool's the, the the tentative one right now. Do we need all of them now? Like no, really? No, like, do, I'm not. We don't need any films yeah. really. No, but of course not. But, <laughs> but it's nice to I like see. Dave you know. very philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> First we call, we need, do we need this film? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, scrap it. <laughs> But, I mean, but who's going to play Macaulay Culkin when they redo that? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, I, Macaulay so, Culkin. He's still alive, yeah. <laughs> yes. One of the questions for me was, like, why would you want to continue or remake the Home Alone f- franchise when it, it ha- essentially had the perfect capper, the perfect sort of end to the franchise with, with Bone Alone? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say with that Google advert. <laughs> that, <laughs> Although that was brilliant, yeah. yeah. Just to emphasize, that it's about a dog, isn't it? Guy? It is about a dog yeah, that yeah. gets trapped it's, in home. I've always said it's just a pawn in a case with dogs on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I mean, I would be happy to see franchises like Alien and Predator get a reboot effect if it's done in the same way of, say, Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah, or the yeah, like any of the sort of Disneyland live action ones, they've sort of been handled with a lot of care. Whereas I don't know, with some of the ones in Fox, it just looks a bit sort of slapdash. Where it's like, oh, here we go, let's rush Mm. a a, a film through because we need to because the rights are about to expire, sort of thing. Here's the thing, though: Disney are soon going to own pretty much every fucking thing. Yes, and it's just going to be 
you know, what other film studios are left. Listen, mate, right, just calm your talk about Disney because they'll eventually end up owning this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, need to be, we need to be a lot nicer. Uh, no more talk of, of uh, Walt Disney's frozen head and jar, okay? Uh, so moving very quickly on, moving quickly on. Um, so uh, the trailer for John Wick 3 was released last week. Uh, I'm, I'm conscious that we're running over a little bit. So quickly, guys, Joel, three words about how you're feeling about the upcoming John Wick 3 film. Um, moist, <laughs> uh, uncomfortable, um, but excited. <laughs> moist and uncomfortable. Where has that ever been a description of anybody? <laughs> okay, Dave? Um, casual, restrained, apprehensive. Oh, oof, okay. There's three words that essentially they, mean the same thing. They've got, they've got to go wrong sooner or later. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So. I think they did go wrong with the second one, but it doesn't matter. Ozzy? What? Can I add that as one word? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. That's just one word. John Wick. Fuck it out. I literally just Googled it now. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's Keanu Reeves as, as an assassin. But I tell you what I've just seen. Dogs reacting to John Wick 3 trailer. Okay. <laughs> and it looks Obviously, fantastic. you'll have so to put a link at the bottom it. of this yeah, yeah. to it. John, John Wick could become the patron saint of dogs after the first one. <laughs> <of it. laughs> okay, and, and moving quickly on, uh, before we, we get to the bulk of the show, uh, considering that this is a sort of Wes Anderson week, Ozzy, I believe you have some Wes Anderson-related news for us. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Winkler is going to uh, join the latest um, Wes Anderson, so um, the Fonz is going to be in... Um, in the newest Wes Anderson film that's about to start shooting in February. In oh, France. wow. So Dude, there you go. Great yeah. news for everyone. Any details about this film released? No, none whatsoever, except for it's in France. All right, okay. <laughs> so the Fonz joining Wes Anderson's film. Dave, one word to sum that up. Yay. <laughs> oh, oh, man, you didn't fall for the bait. I was hoping you'd say, hey. hey. <laughs> right, it doesn't matter anyway. Right, okay, so moving on to this week's film feels. Now, unfortunately, Alex isn't here to do the film feels this week. So I'm passing over the reins to uh, Captain Dave. And as you know, Alex has his own little theme song that we play every week to kind of to, to lead up to film feels. So I think that, uh, Dave, you should get your own one. And I do feel that the, the theme songs should be a sort of persona of the person and they should represent that person so without further hesitation Dave would you like to play your theme music That was that was brilliant. Yeah, wow. I, I've actually got Alex here on the phone. Uh, Alex, how did you feel about that? I mean, you must be a bit annoyed that Dave's is much much better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave. Oh, poor Alex. <laughs> yeah, th- this week's film feels. I decided let's do it. Oh, what, what would I, what would Brucey do? What is everyone's favourite directorial debut? This is the first Wes Anderson movie that he made, first feature length. What's everyone's favourite directorial debut? Joel. Uh, pretty standard for me, actually. Night of the Living Dead. Mm. So that was one of the very first kind of black and white films that I watched, actually. Um, didn't really watch that many as a kid. And yeah, that kind of got me into the whole genre. Uh, so, yeah, it's probably one of my fondest memories of... Probably one of the films that I own most copies of. I think I've got about four or five copies of that film as well. So, yeah, definitely that. There we go. George A. Romero's directorial debut. Uh, 
Gav? Um, maybe um, Memento, Christopher Nolan. Mm. I mean, I remember when that first came out. I'm not quite sure if that's it. I think that's his mainstream directorial debut. I think he did another one before that called The, F- the Following, uh, but that was about like an hour long, so maybe that was more of a short film. But uh, as a directorial debut, Memento was just absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I, I think there's a, a film, a French film called Irreversible, which has got a very similar format, but I'd, I'd saw that after Memento. So the first time I saw Memento, absolutely mind blown by the, the the story the storytelling the fact it's all told in reverse the performances as well i just thought it was absolutely stunning and i, I loved it to be honest so i'm glad alex isn't here because i think he probably would have had a word or two to say about me picking christopher <laughs> nolan there but yeah thank you possibly so uh austin um so i couldn't really think of things i'd seen that were editorial or directorial debut so it was either going to be bottle rocket <laughs> Well, I did just have a quick skim through that, and I've seen The Evil Dead, and that was a directorial uh, debut as well. For Raimi, was it really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know uh, that was his first film. And, that was, I uh, and I really enjoyed The Evil Dead, I thought it was great fun. So, Did you enjoy it more than the performance you saw, the live performance? No, I enjoyed it so much because of the live performance. <laughs> you want to tell us what that was about? That was, uh, it was called The Elvis Dead, and that was <laughs> a guy dressed as Elvis, singing Elvis songs over all of the scenes of The Evil Dead. <laughs> and... Um, and it was absolutely brilliant. So, like, instead of in the ghetto, it was uh, in the basement. <laughs> um, and then, uh, brilliant. And he just oh acted out way. everything at the same time. So, if anyone ever gets a chance to see The Elvis Dead, you should go and see it. That's brilliant. amazing. That amazing. I, I did also ask Alex before, um, you know, I found out that he wasn't coming. Mm-hmm. And he said that his favourite directorial debut is uh, Richard Kelly with uh, Donnie Darko. He said he really, really, really likes that film. Of course, yeah. One of my earliest memories that, yeah. of that. <laughs> Of Alex is, is um, watching Danny Darko. Watching Danny Darko. Yeah, yeah, he loves that just... film. Absolutely loves that. Yeah, I'd probably say mine might be uh, Jordan Peele. Get out. Oh, I thought okay. it, it, I know it's, it's it's a fairly recent one, so it's probably just fresh in my mind. But I really was impressed by it. I think he did a great job. So that that could be up there for me. Oh, definitely. I think the way that he transitioned from out and out comedy star to. Mm you know horror icon essentially is is incredible mm. i mean obviously you guys know that i love keen peel and i've shown you many 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 uh scenes from it over the years but there was always like sort of horror elements to some of their sketches some of the sketches are really really well filmed and they're very creepy as well so you kind of did think that he had it in him but this was just uh, just out of the water it's incredible i think mm. great debut Definitely. Right, well, okay, thank you very much for that, Dave. That was so much better than usual for some reason. Oh, you're um, welcome. <laughs> on to the bulk of the show, anyway. This week's film, as mentioned before, is Bottle Rocket. Oops. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a rocket firing, obviously. Sure, yeah. um, and it hasn't been picked out of the hat at random, but it has been chosen by our good friend, Austin. So, Ozzy, just remind us again, why did you pick Bottle Rocket to be put on trial? Um... One, because I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, and uh, this film really appealed to me. Two, because I thought it was on Amazon Prime, so everyone would just be able to watch it for free. Um, and three, no other reason. Yeah, yeah, see, just, see the previous oh, well, two. I, well, I actually thought it was going to be uh, a more difficult choice than, say, like uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay, so I it's thought it'd be very a more, divisive. Yeah, more of a debate. So, yeah. 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 Okay, um, so... Turns out two was wrong. And it was just because I'd already bought it on Amazon, so it was free for me. <laughs> and one was wrong as well, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, so because you picked Bottle Rockets, you are going to be acting as the defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list. Now, Ozzy is a bit like Wes Anderson. He's a kooky, stylish enigma who's often called pretentious and shit by common boobs like me and Joel. <laughs> 
Now, the rest of the roles have been picked out at random, however, and in prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Captain Dave. Now, Dave is a little bit like Bill Murray. Everybody loves him, but he looked 40 in his 20s. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'm Bill Murray. I'll have that. <laughs> so just like real court advocates, Ozzy and Dave will be making the best case for their roles. This may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, in the roles of character witness and lending his genuine opinion to the argument is Joel. Now, Joel is a little bit like most of Wes Anderson's characters, apathetic and incapable of expressing genuine emotions. <laughs> I did also say that Brucey was a bit like Luke Wilson, unmemorable. <laughs> or memorable for the wrong reasons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which brings, uh, which means this week I have the most important role as I will be playing the judge. I'm a bit like Owen Wilson's nose. Weird and bent out of shape. Recognisable and unforgettable, but not in a good way. <laughs> Now, I must decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to me and not using my own opinion, which is good because I've never seen Bottle Rocket before. Uh, so, Ozzy, I think you've got a bit of an uphill struggle because, as you know, I'm not really that big a fan of Wes Anderson, but I'm going to be completely impartial here. I find that hard to believe. I've, I've known you for many years, so I'm a... Uh... I'm going to do my very best. Okay. Well, uh, before... I've also got a shit character witness as well in terms of someone who's going to enjoy the film and be, answer it truthfully. <laughs> yeah, you're so. not winning them over to no, your cause, mate. <laughs> if only Brucey was actually here. <laughs> to be honest, you know, Brucey helps nobody. <laughs> not even himself. <laughs> right, okay, we need to stop being so mean about Alex now. Right, mo- That's why moving he's not on. come, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the trains are on, I checked. <laughs> Right, so before we get started, I think that we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what the film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. Okay, so here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it's landed on me. So who shall I deliver the synopsis in the style of? I say, can you do Owen Wilson? I'd say it's got to be Owen Wilson. It's got to be Owen Wilson, hasn't it? Um, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I'm <laughs> Three friends plan to pull off a simple robbery and go on the run. Wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually not bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was expecting a lot worse. <laughs> right, okay, without further hesitation, allow me to kick off proceedings. So, um, first up, who should we have? Should we have a little bit of a defense, maybe? Yeah, Austin. Yeah. Austin? Okay, well, so this well, the thing you'll probably notice about this film when you do get to watch it is it's it's really simple. It's a very straightforward story. It um, there's not you know there's not a whole lot going on there. It's a really sim- It's a nice, easy story about friendship, and that's um, I think that's the real heart of it. It's, um, it's quite a poignant thing as well. So when I first watched it, I was about twenty five, I think twenty six, you know, and I was late to films anyway. And um, watch this, and you really—I think it really hits home at that sort of age because that's how old I think, or roughly about how old Wes Anderson and uh, and Owen Wilson must have been at the time. Um, and I think that really that really plays true with the uh, the feelings in there. And it's a um, it's quite an odd thing. Um, and I think it, it, with Wes Anderson films anyway, um, particularly the ones that he wrote with Owen Wilson, is that um, they're quite surreal in some ways you know so although they're set in real places or things where they could be could be real places they're um that you're not meant to feel like they're they're real you're meant to feel like they're in a set or they're um they're somewhere else you know you, it's um like a, a 
I don't know the word, it's like a disassociation, like some way of, um, you can understand the feelings and whatever, but you're not meant to feel like this is realistic um, at any point. You're just meant to enjoy it for what it is. You know, you've got that um, sense of, um, I can't think, <laughs> I can't think what the word is now where you, um, there's a sense of disbelief, you know, you, so you suspend all of the, um, all of this belief in order to, to stick with the story. Like the Uncanny Valley sort of thing. Yeah, exactly yeah. like that, yeah. So, you, so you're watching actors play and you're, you're there for entertainment. It's not there to feel as though you're a part of the story. You're not trying to, to, to get on with that. And that really works with this. It's um, And also with this being his first film as well, so I don't know, it depends on where you come in to, to view this film. So it wasn't the first uh, Wes Anderson film I saw, but it was, um, it was quite quickly um, one that I watched. What was the first one you saw? Rushmore, maybe. Or Life Aquatic. I can't remember oh, yeah. which, but... Um, that was the second one, wasn't it, Rushmore? Yeah, yeah. And then Actually, also, just look at your T-shirt. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> yeah, just for anyone who's not who's not either on Instagram or, uh, or, or or aware of what I might have been wearing for a podcast, it is essentially all of the characters. It's a handy guide for Wes Anderson films yeah. by the book. So, yeah, so anyway, where was I at? So, um, yeah, this, is, this first film was fairly low budget, and, um, and you can tell with this, it doesn't feel like a high-budget film. Sorry, I just had a... Massive glass of Diet Coke in there. It happens in the royal courts as well, man. I don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a real, uh, it's a real issue for us uh, defence lawyers. Yeah, up and down they the got country. Diet Coke on tap over there. <laughs> yeah. Order, order. Um, I wonder if I do. So I think that's just still recording fine. It was last time, wasn't it? Mm hmm. Uh, Wow. Okay. <laughs> was that, was that, was that you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so, so um, like I say, so it's a, it is his first one. So you don't always see like his signature style, you know, so the color palette isn't quite the same as you might expect to see from something like Grand Budapest Hotel. But it, one thing you do get in here are some of his signature shots, you know, centered, um, centered styles. And this is, this was new at the time as well. So in the nineties, like the only thing that anybody really was into was, uh, Quentin Tarantino, you know, he sort of, he just sort of stole the show really in terms of independent film styles. You know, he was the, he was the dog's nuts, wasn't he? Everybody just after, um, Reservoir Dogs or the Reservoir Dogs Nuts, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The Reservoir Dogs Nuts. Um, that was, uh, that was basically, that's all everybody wanted to be. And if you were an independent filmmaker or independent films that came out, that was, that was pretty much where everything sounded like all of the monologues were all along those lines. But, uh, but this was different. This wasn't, um, this wasn't like that at all. So this really, uh, appeal to me in that way you know there's um everything about it just was uh was sort of odds with that quentin tarantino style you know the camera work is quite simple um the, the the music really appeals to me you know being a that sort of guy essentially um <clears throat> what's the music like uh so it's mainly um it's mainly like sort of if, if you've ever seen um the what's it called um life aquatic no 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 i was it's a cartoon um, with Snoopy. Okay, peanuts. Peanuts, yeah, yeah. So it's the it's basically the music from Peanuts, oh, or, yeah, okay. or rewrites of the music from Peanuts. That oh, that's a great thing. tune, that as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's that sort of stuff, that sort of feel all the way through, and it's kind of sometimes it's a little bit now. It's it, it's never really relates to you know none of the lyrics or anything like that or any, or the sounds necessarily um, equates directly to what's on on the on the screen. But you know, it just um, sometimes it's a nice uh, contrast to to that what's going on. Uh, anyway, where is that? So the story is basically um, Luke Wilson's character is where you start with. He's a, uh, it, it, it's his sort of growing up. He's a guy who's checked himself into like a, a mental asylum. And um, the very first scene is him 
having this uh, daring escape um, that Dignan is, um, that his, his friend Dignan, Owen Wilson, is, um, is sort of concocted. And he goes along with it anyway, but we find out almost straight away it's a voluntary asylum, so he could have left any time he wanted. But he goes along with this uh, this crazy escape plan through the window because that's what his friend wants to do. You know, he does loads of things to help this guy out. Um, and then all the way through, that's kind of what happens. He's there. He's just always trying to look after his mates. And it's, that's, that's really what it is. It's just a friendship story throughout this one guy always trying to do his best for his mates no matter what happens to him from it. And then towards the end, you, um, you, you get this, you know, crazy heist. It, it's, a, it's a heist film in some ways, but it really is about friendship. And uh, at the very end, uh, Owen Wilson sort of, he grows up in some way, so he's let me have this one. So they're getting caught by the police, let everyone get away. And he takes the rap, he has this crazy run through the thing and he gets beaten up and you see it, that's where he's just, um, he, he's just sort of happy. You know, he's finally, uh, he, he's come a long way, big dreamer right the way through. And then at the, at the very end, he's he's th- there, you know, it's been told so well, he's just getting beaten up and it's that little slow motion scene. And that's the very first, the only slow motion scene in the film. So if you've seen other Wes Anderson films, you know there's quite a lot of slow motion uh, in, other, in other Wes Andersons. But in this one, there's only the one scene. And it's the very last scene where he, uh, he's getting beaten up by the police officers. And then, uh, but you just see him, he's smiling. He's absolutely getting pounded, but he's smiling because this is what he wanted. You know, he's now, he's been, um, <laughs> I feel like Joel, I'm come on, seriously. Come on. <laughs> Joel, do not laugh. Uh, he's smiling because he's getting pounded. <laughs> But you know, he's, I must he's, have missed that bit. <laughs> but he's finally been validated as, as a, you know, he's a dreamer. He always wanted to be someone. He's never getting anywhere. He's from a small town. And, um, and he takes it in and, and he never rats his friends out and he, um, he ends up in prison. And, um, and he's still a dreamer. Um, but, he, but he's taken that one for his team. He's been, been a friendship. This, the whole thing is, is all about uh, relationships. And I feel as though as Anderson's really captured that well um, all the way through. And the very first time I watched it, I didn't really get There's a middle scene. Um, or a middle act, I suppose, where they're at the, the motel. Um, and when I first watched it, I was a bit young and I kind of felt like it was a bit of a filler and I really didn't really understand what's going on. But actually that scene there is a, it's a great way of, of developing lots of the relationships. And I thought that was just a really good, uh, really good directorial tool is that you, you know, not, not a lot happens during that point, except for the, the relationships between characters. Um, and, and it was just, a, it's, nicely split up into thirds in in essence this uh this thing so although the plot i guess doesn't move very very far there are three very clear um very clear acts and um yeah it was just it felt like a very it's a very simple story but it's done so well and so cleverly um it just it just really captures you especially at that age i mean i suppose if i came to watch it in in 10 years time as the first go then then i may not get it but as a as a mid-20s um, you know, young adult. Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it. It really, really resonated. Okay, thank you very much for that, Austin. Uh, Dave, would you like to come back at that, please? Yeah, I've got to say I disagree with a lot of what Austin said. The whole thing smacks of amateurism, to be honest with you. It's a low-budget amateur film. That can be charming in its own way, but this is just too self-indulgent. It's, it's like if a film student had put this together, you might give them a break, but this film does nothing to justify its $5 million budget, uh, much of which I can only presume goes on James Kahn, who uh, <laughs> must have demanded a pretty hefty fee for his small role in it now but, but what a role but <laughs> what a role well yeah casting him as a mob boss that's some uh, <laughs> that's some inventive <laughs> casting there. 
Wes Anderson, right? He's, he's revered as a cult director, and he's got a very good signature style, like Austin says. You know, he's uh, much like Tim Burton in that respect. You just see, need to see a few frames of the film to know that it's theirs. But this film shows nothing of the promise that was to come. His signature style was not yet developed at this point, which Austin admits. In fact, if you told me this director went on to do nothing else, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid had I not known it was Wes Anderson. I never would have reckon, recognized this as one of his films. There's no requirement to give this film an easy ride just because it's a directorial debut. Part of the film feels thing, we, we talked about other directorial debuts that have been how good they are. You know, we didn't mention Steven Spielberg with Jewel. That was a cult film at the time and not one that's particularly well remembered uh, these days or, or well known, I should say. But it's still a very good film, brilliantly made when you go back to it. You know, it's a great introduction to a director that would go on to great things. Um, and it's just because it's your first film doesn't mean it can't be a great film. So I don't think Wes Anderson deserves any undue slack for this being his first foray in the cinema. The film's plot drags. Like Austin said a couple of times there, there's not a lot going on. Um, it starts with potential. I do that. I like the escape bit, but, um, once the bookstore <coughs> heist has, has happened, you're left wondering where there is uh, to go because as the characters doss around a motel for what seems like an eternity. So some life comes back with the introduction of James Caan. I will admit uh, his character, Mr. Henry, but his welcome wears thin very quickly. And even the final heist, which had real potential for some good comedic moments or even a bit of tension, uh, it just ends up being lifeless and yet kind of confusing at the same time. Um, I hear what Austin's saying about the soundtrack. It's good, but it's kind of a decent soundtrack in the same way that Guardians of the Galaxy was a decent soundtrack. You know, they've picked some good songs. So there's not real real kudos to be given to them, aside from them having good taste in music. And, you know, I just want to point out the film was a, a huge commercial failure as well. And uh, I think it was... It was kind of mixed reviews, I think it's fair to say. I know Roger Ebert wasn't a fan. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so all in all, it's, it's surrealist. Yeah, I'll get it. But you're still lacking that Wes Anderson signature style. And I'm not so sure the film is about friendship. I still remember Luke Wilson's character ch- chatting up the hotel maid while Owen Wilson's getting his ass handed to him over a pool table. Yeah, in the but back. you don't... I mean, but that's a great idea. That's a, gr- a great example of, of really good um, direction in that sense is that he's out front chatting and you don't hear what's going on in the background. That's... You know, he's he's there, he's having a chat with this girl, he's trying to chat her up. Um, so so he's there chatting to Inez. And she's also very believable because I don't think she's done anything in in sort of mainstream cinema before or since. So um, so for me, she just exists in that film. She, she's actually a real person in that film. But, um, but you, see, you know, he's in the background, so you're actually watching... The foreground is... is uh, is, is, is Luke and, um, and, and Inez chatting... But then behind him, Dignan's having a pool game with the uh, with this Mexican. Like, looks seems like a a drug lord potentially, but he's certainly certainly a gangster and he's a big guy. And, um, and that just happened in the background, you know. And it keeps switching scenes, and you don't. Um, I, I think that's. I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing in terms of the friendship scene. That the friendship is built up throughout. You know, he's. Um, the, the other scenes which which hit home that show you that they're uh, I, they're I, great friends and it feels like I, a... I beg to differ, but we'll talk about <laughs> casting characters in point two. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, those guys. Uh, Joel, okay, as the character witness, I'm going to ask you some pointed questions here. So, firstly, one thing that the guys uh, disagree on basically is uh, about how Wes Anderson captured the mood. Do you think that Wes Anderson was, was good at capturing the setting there with this direction, or do you think it, it, it fell flat? Um, don't know. 
probably somewhere in the middle to be to be completely honest it was a, it was a weird one like i completely agree with dave like it, with some points but to be fair i agree with austin you know point 1 i failed to see where 5 million went on this film like it literally looks as though you've shot it with a camcorder and like the kind of this all the stuff that Wes anderson is famous for isn't really here apart from like the character type of study element of all his previous films um so it's it's very different on that level and i actually kind of liked that about it um it was was quite it's like wes anderson but stripped it wasn't as pretentious as all the other shit that he's done um and i actually kind of (laughs) kind of like would you agree with that statement (laughs) praise indeed (laughs) if that's gonna get me any kudos with you then i'm gonna wholeheartedly accept that as a compliment from joel that that the film is not as pretentious as the other films. I'll go with that. It's, what it is, I don't think he's got quite as much um, control over it this time around. Are <laughs> 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 trying to find a little cat sound? Or no, I'm, I'm trying to find an alarm, basically, that I'm going to play every time, every time the word pretentious is said. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, that it's not as pretentious as the others. In that, um, <laughs> But... Um, but I think it's because just of, of the nature that it feels like, um, you know, Owen Wilson, everybody who's in there, they're all friends and it feels like they're friends. Everyone's on a bit of a level playing field. Whereas you go on to later Wes Anderson films and it becomes the Wes Anderson show. Essentially, yeah. you know, it's Wes Anderson, whatever Wes Anderson film, everything says Wes Anderson film. You know, he's, is that's where you're going. You're not going because of the cast and character. You're going for Wes Anderson. Whereas in this, it's not. Wes Anderson film, Bottle Rocket. It's just Bottle Rocket, you know, because it wasn't, you know, he wasn't a thing back then. That's uh... Okay, okay, sure. No. Um, <laughs> Joel, uh, one thing I'd like to know is, do you think that it is of the time? Austin said that it was sort of a revolutionary film for him to watch when he was in his mid-twenties. But, you know, maybe if he would have watched it 10 years earlier or 10 years later, he wouldn't have felt the same way. Do you think that you had to be of a certain age or a certain background to enjoy it? Or do you think it's one of those films that anybody can enjoy? Um... I think, without meaning to offend anybody, Wes Anderson appeals to like a specific audience. I don't think it's for every single person. Bald, bearded geeks. But that that said, you know, like me, I came from watching several other Wes Anderson films and I've never enjoyed them. And I actually thought this one was the best one that I've seen. And that's because of all the stuff which people like about him. There was less of that stuff in this one. So, you know, it's two sides of a coin and I'm the opposite side. And because all that kind of signature stuff isn't in this one as much, I liked it more. Okay, that sounds really good. Thank you very much, Joel. Right, moving on, second argument. Dave, casting characters, is he? Yep, I'm happy to talk about those. So I say, in what we have here, essentially, is just another slacker movie. Um, if I if, if I say self-indulgent instead of pretentious, is that okay? <laughs> no, no, okay, never mind. <laughs> what you these get with these slacker characters? You never really get to understand the characters' motivations. I don't understand why Dignam is so determined to become a master thief. I don't understand why he idolises Mr. Henry so much. And I don't understand why Anthony and Inez's love story even got off the ground when the characters 
characters themselves are so bland. You know, it, it could have been enjoyable to have seen a romance blossom in spite of this language barrier that the two characters have, but it just doesn't take off. And it's not like the characters aren't seen interacting enough. There are many interactions between these characters, but the interactions we're shown don't make you feel like this is a couple that you want to see get together by the end of the film. Not that they seem a bad fit, it's just they don't ignite. Uh, the, the chemistry is just bland and it makes it very dull to watch. There's nothing particularly likable about any of these characters. And seeing as it is very much a character-driven film, there's not much action to it. You know, they're also flawed and, and very unexplored by the end of it. You know, these flaws could have been endearing, but they just become irritating. And the worst thing is you never seem to care about these characters. We never get to understand really what makes these characters tick. And because of, because of that, we don't give a damn about what their fate will be at the end of the film. You know, all you get from this movie is apathy. When Dignam is arrested at the end of the film and he's brutally beaten by the arresting officers, like Ozzy pointed out, you just don't care. You know, de- <laughs> depending on how the character could have been. Kind of, kind of no. heart, of, heart of stone. Yeah, I, did. I, just, I was kind of irritated by Dignam by the end of it. You know, depending on how the character had been played, you could have felt some sympathy for him or you could have felt a sense of satisfaction if you really didn't like the guy if Owen Wilson had chose to play him that way and seeing him get some kind of comeuppance could have been satisfying. But you just don't care either way. You're just not bothered. I beg to differ. I, uh, well, <laughs> Owen Wilson essentially starts his career as he meant to continue it by playing Owen Wilson. And Luke, <laughs> and Luke, Luke Wilson is no better. You see, Ozzy says it's about the friendship between those two and it's like how two real-life brothers can have zero chemistry. It's completely beyond me. You think, you know, they, they'd fire off one another. There'd be some good um, ad-libbing. There'd be some good back and forth uh, seeing as they're playing childhood best friends. And, the, you know, these guys genuinely did grow up together in real life, you know. But you're left with this kind of perplexion as to why they even started hanging out in the first place. James Carr was a stellar addition to the cast, but like I said, it's not a demanding role for him, and casting him as a mob boss was some pretty uninspired casting. I think Bill Murray was considered for that role at one point, and I feel that that would have ultimately been a much better choice. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh that's me on casting characters. Wow, very brutal. That very, very brutal. brutal. That's brutal, and I think a little bit, um, bit, bit unfounded to be, to be fair. Like I, I can, I can get some of that. That if you're, I mean, if you don't get invested fairly early on, then, then yeah, why, why not? You're going to feel like towards the way. But I think if you don't capture what it's actually about straight away, then you are gonna, you are gonna misunderstand it because it is. It's actually about Anthony and Dignan as, as a relationship. Just those two guys throughout is that. And, and it's sort of explained to you in the very first scene. Um, and I didn't realize that when I very first watched it, but it, it's told by the, the, the doctor says to uh, Anthony before he comes out the window, says, you can't help everyone. And then out, out of the window he goes, and that's kind of what he's doing. That, and that's why he's in there in the first place. This is the, then the motivation for him wanting to be, I think these are middle-class white guys in, you know, in nineties America, they're just looking for a for a way. You know, they're looking for an identity. They don't have an identity. They're just everyone. They're, they could be absolutely anyone. And that's where where he's going with this. So you see, and there's so much attention to detail in terms of character, um, the way it's fleshed out. You know, the script is great, but it's little bits, little scenes where he's um, he's got his life plan down. You know, he's made um, Dignan's made this plan for his for his friends. You know, he said, "Oh, while you were in the while you were in the nut house, I made this plan for our lives." You know, and he's he's got this little notepad and he's written down everything they're going to do. You know, the five year plan, the ten year plan, twenty five year plan, seventy five year plan, and um, there's loads of really little sort of Easter eggs. You know, the way we were talking about the um, the trailer earlier. There's um there's little bits in there where if you're really paying attention, and I think that's what, one of the things that where people start talking about it being uh, Wes Anderson being self indulgent is that um, there are little bits like that. You know, the extra. <laughs> I thought that was because he did say the word p- 
pre cautious earlier is um is that there's little bits like that you know so um so in this notepad there's little little touches sort of like oh yeah we're gonna we're gonna rob this store we're gonna rob whatever and then as it gets down there you know we're gonna 75 year plans like a wife and kids you know little brackets very important that sort of thing gonna get a master's degree honorary degree all this stuff like trying to plan out their lives and, and and really, it's, it's just the, the motivation is that these guys are just nobodies, essentially. They want to be, he wants to be someone, he wants validation. And that's why you feel, that's why I feel so good for him at the end when he's like, let me have this one. You know, this is his chance to become a person. This is Dignan's chance to actually be someone he's been trying to, to get validation from. You know, from the guys in the uh, from his from his mob boss. You know, because that's where he used to work for him in the landscaping company, and it's um, and that's what he's after. He just wants to be someone. He wants to be a, a, his own character in his own right. And this is that's his one chance at the end. That's why you care for what happens to him at the end. Um, we'll be talking about the Inez love story as well. So yeah, I get that. I think that was a difficult thing to to pay off because it's done in quite a short space of time. You know, the guys that, that he Anthony spends you know, six hours with her and suddenly they're madly in love. They don't speak the same language and they're going through. But I think that develops pretty well. And, you know, and so at first she's not, there's a real risk that she's not a very well-written uh, character. You know, she doesn't get any real chance. She doesn't speak English. So she's not, not given that much time, but she does over the time. She becomes uh, useful uh, to his development, you know. So he there's that little stage where, He's calling around, and it's a very '90s situation where he's got that mobile phone and he's ringing around trying to trying to get back in touch with her. And then I was just thinking then about um, the translation scene and um, the, 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 the little guy. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Nobody. Um, he shouts. It doesn't matter anyway. It's not that big a deal. It's about. It's, it's not going to be great to, for a podcast to go. Oh, that one guy, and he says, "I love you," and then. It gets forgotten about for ten minutes, and then a bit later it <laughs> comes back to. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I, that's why it's a really good. But anyway, this um, the Dignan storyline I, I think is really good. It's um, he, he develops really well as a character, particularly that scene at the end. Like, like I say, that's what he wants is validation, and he finally gets it. He gets his his comeuppance is that he finally becomes the you know he's in jail. He's gone to jail for being a thief, and he's happy about it. You know, he's finally finally going to be remembered. Then I, um, yeah, so, so I, I, I disagree with Dave's arguments. I don't know if I've done a great job of uh, catching up there in terms of that, but and I don't feel like giving enough uh, enough credence to the script as well because there's some great one-liners in this um, that, that just fly through. You know, it's like the uh, he's in in the bookstore, the bookstore in particular. You know, it's a very uh, Wes Anderson thing where it's very formalized. You know, the um, so he's in. Um, he's trying to get the money put into a bag, and he goes, "I need a bigger bag, you idiot!" And then the um, the, the store manager's like, "Oh, don't call me an idiot, you punk!" And then he stops, and he goes, "Oh, uh, do, you, do you have uh, any bigger bags? You know, for like an atlas or a dictionary, sir?" And it's just like it's just really well done. Obviously, I don't do a great Owen Wilson impression. I you but said it was a good quote. That was a good quote. Oh, I mean, okay. he does it a lot better job than I do. But... I was looking for a big bag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, right. that was perfect yeah thanks anyway, <laughs> anyway I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna on yeah you are rambling I'm gonna cut, cut you off here mate because most of it's bullshit right <laughs> Joel uh, a couple of questions for you here mate chemistry between the Wilson brothers is it there or not um, all I can say is the, the brothers <laughs> in the film <laughs> um, no, right so 
what I wanted to know is, did you care about the characters? Dave said you didn't care about them at all. There was no development. Austin said that they were very intricately written and that you did care about them and that some of them, including, well, m- most notably Dignan, has a really good story arc. Um, the characters were annoying, but because of that, I did care about them, which is, makes a strange amount of sense. But they do, they definitely do have a character arc, but it, there is like that section at the start i think dave mentioned it where it's just a little bit you know it takes takes a while for it to ramp up you could probably chomp out about 20 minutes of that film uh but at the end i do think they kind of become like well-rounded characters and to be honest it made for a wes anderson film like a strange amount of sense i think by the end okay thank you very much right closing statement guys you've got <laughs> one minute Starting from who's, who's doing it? Who's doing it? Right, I, I'm going to say Austin first. Right, one minute starting from now. Go. Okay, this is a beautiful and poignant story about friendship, and deep down that is what it's about. It's about friendship at its simplest. It's just a movie about two friends who want to be something bigger, and they never really amount to anything. But it's got it's filled with attention to detail and humour, and uh, and and genuinely, I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed this movie until rewatching it again. Um, it's got so many great scenes, you know, and so many great lines. There's um. Uh, the bar scene that we talked about before that's just showed like synonymous of the attention to detail paid to this um the, the, to, to this film you've got foreground activity background activity and all of it helps to progress the storyline all of the characters are well-rounded and the actors all fit the roles perfectly i didn't touch on him before but andrew wilson's character future man he's just he's the perfect big brother he's an absolutely annoying twat essentially and he just does a great job for it uh, Dignan, you know, nobody could have done the role of Dignan better than Owen Wilson. You know, nobody plays Owen Wilson as good as Owen Wilson. You want Owen Wilson in a job. <laughs> Owen Wilson doesn't it, even yeah. play Owen Wilson yeah. good. <laughs> it's like it, it's like the Helena Bonham Carter of Wes Anderson movies, you know. You get her in if you want a crazy woman. If you want Helena Bonham Carter, that's who you bring in. This script is fantastically funny and knowing, and the film is amazing. <laughs> Man. I missed out on my... Uh... You missed out on your flourish, oh, banging man. on about Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> right. I felt like I hadn't brought in enough other films to my argument. Uh, all I'm going to say, guys, is this episode has been lacking on flourishes, so Dave, can you make up for that? Your minute starts... I'll, I'll try. <laughs> now. Okay, this film stars, uh, for the most part, a cast of unknowns who are lucky not to have stayed that way. Performances are drab, and it's a real challenge to root for any of these oddballs who are not likable enough for Bottle Rocket to possess any real charm. This film and its screenplay had promise, but its novice director was neither the man to get the best from his cast or from his screenplay. A wasteful script, underdeveloped characters, unclear motivations leave a haze too thick for any sort of fireworks display to shine through. It has promise on paper, but the execution is dull. You'd have had more enjoyment setting off fireworks in an 8 by 4 meter yard on New Year's Eve. It's, it's life-threatening, but at least it keeps your attention. Bottle Rocket does not light up the sky so much as it does fizzle away into a major disappointment. Oh. Nice. Jesus, that wow. was scathing. That was genuine. Can you hear that? <laughs> Dave Cat. Hey, I got three flourishes in there. Oh, well, you got three, three flourishes. And also an insult joke. about me <laughs> and my poor, poor fireworks display on New Year's Eve. Your fireworks display was not poor. Your health and safety, however. <laughs> Listen, all right. Oh, okay, man. a firework might have hit Joel. A firework might have hit me. But we're here to tell the tale, aren't we? <laughs> Just about. <laughs> Heavily scarred, but still laughing. In fairness, I'm glad we filmed it because that's a hell of a video. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, moving on from that, uh, right. I think I've got a lot to decide here. So, Joel, via Alex, or Alex via Joel, will you please give this week's quiz? Thank you very much. 
So a bit of backstory to this quiz. Alex couldn't make it because the trains were cancelled, so he instantly texted me and said, oh, I'll get the quiz over to you. And then I replied saying, okay. And then he replied saying, I haven't actually done it. So this is a quiz <laughs> which he's taken off a website. So oh, just what? Straight from a website. Oh, no. Are we going to have to pay royalties for this? What so, a bullshit. Can we not make you know, a quiz up between us all? If we if, all ask one question. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather do that. I'd rather I'd, I'd rather ask each other a question than If than you hate it beforehand, then, you know, it's, <laughs> it's just gotten worse. Yeah, we weren't mean enough to him earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we were so mean. Yeah, well done, Dave. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty easy to start off with. These actors starred in which heist movie? George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, and Matt Damon. Entrapment, Ocean's Eleven, Snatch, or Swordfish? I'm not even going to bother answering that question because it's so easy. Let, let's let's <laughs> wait for Austin to answer. Oh, actually, yeah. This Aussie, this entire quiz is for you. <laughs> um, swordfish. Ooh, it's Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Ocean's Eleven as well. Or, or one of the other two. <laughs> okay. One in four chances. <laughs> these, actor, these actors starred in which heist movie? George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Is it The Italian Job, The Thomas Crown Affair, Three Kings, or Ocean's Twelve? <laughs> Aussie. Three Kings? Oh, no, Ocean's Twelve. I'm going to say Ocean's Twelve. Correct. For a second there. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, question three. These <laughs> actors starred in which heist movie? Pierce Brosnan, Rene Russo, and Dennis Leary. Is it Swordfish, The Thomas Crown Affair, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or Money Train? Um, I don't think it's Lock, Stock. Probably Swordfish. Ooh, Isn't Swordfish got um, John Travolta in it? It does, actually. Oh, then not that, then. <laughs> um, the last one, Money Train. Money train, that's incorrect. It's the Thomas oh. Crown. <laughs> okay, so interestingly, this question this actor's starred in which heist movie? Was it Sean Connery, Catherine Zeta Jones, and Ving Rames? Was it Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, Entrapment, The Italian Job, or Three Kings? <laughs> oh, Dave's having so to give him hints. Uh, oh. Three Kings. I said Ocean's 13. Oh, Ocean's <laughs> It is entrapment. <laughs> so you're on one out of five so far, Ozzy. Uh, same question. I'm not even going to read it out again. So the, the actors this time, Pam Greer, Samuel L. Jackson, Robert De Niro, and Bridget Fonda. Is it Money Train, Heat, <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, or Jackie Brown? And if you get this one wrong, then Gav might be quite angry. J- Jackie Brown? <laughs> is it yeah oh thank fuck my Tinder credibility is going to go right down you know I've been telling everyone I'm on part of a popular film <laughs> review podcast and now I know all about films so we're, we're only on question if 6 on out of 10 nobody mate. listens to it if, if anything I think your Tinder profile is going to go up <laughs> so John Cleese Jamie Lee Curtis Kevin Clean, Mike, and Michael Palin. Is it a fish called Wanda, Three Kings, Entrapment, or Die Hard? Bear in mind, you've already you've already ticked off two or three of these options <laughs> in previous questions. Three Kings hasn't been a winner yet, has it? Three Kings. No, although John Cleese in Three Kings would have been would have been pretty good. I yeah, it was none of the above. It was fierce creatures. <laughs> it's a fish called Wanda. So this time, Sean Connery. So is that a, that's a heist film? These are all heist yeah. films. 
So that's not actually about this fish. This is the quiz, mate. This is no, it's, I mean, a, I it's a heist really. But quiz. this isn't even a heist movie. This is a friendship movie. This is a coming of age movie. I think it's what's doing <laughs> is uh, read the synopsis and Google the quiz about it. So, I've, I've got a quiz question, right? Okay, yeah. so um, it's 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 about Wilson. <laughs> so Wilson was Tom Hanks's friend <laughs> in Castaway. But what type of ball was he, Ozzy? He is a Casey. A what? A leather Casey. Yeah, about the brand. What the f- oh, a mitre. See a mitre. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a fucking mitre. <laughs> I, I can't say he's wrong though. I don't know. It's a, I would have just said volleyball. But yeah, it's a volleyball. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's what I was looking for. Oh, I thought it was a football, like a mitre. No, no, no. no. <laughs> with a red hand. Okay, it. It, was a fly, it was a flyaway. It was a flyaway. That one. <laughs> it's, got, it's got an egg in the middle. <laughs> Right, so we <laughs> just just move on. Just so move going. All right. Sean Connery, Gert, Fro- Gert Frobe, and Honor Blackman to catch a thief. Goldfinger, Ocean's Eleven, or Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, Goldfinger, Sean Connery. Well done, man. Well done, mate. There you go. You've got at least two right so far. <laughs> um, so Steve McQueen, Faye Dunaway, or Paul Burke. This is the last one. And you've got <laughs> you've got the top. The Thomas Crown Affair, Pink Panther, Goldfinger, or the Italian Job? The Italian Job. Oh, me. It's the, the original Thomas Crown Affair. The oh. original Thomas Crown Affair. <laughs> so we'll stop there before we damage any more of your, your street cred. Man, what, what fucking street cred? Man, I know we always have a joke that you've only watched about six films, but we didn't realise. Just... Yeah, but it was not those six films that just kept coming up. Is, is Ozzy really deserving of your wrath right now? Or is it, is it the one that couldn't make it and dropped out on the quiz? My God, what a poor quiz. Honestly, that's, that, that's it now. I Alice. worry what he teaches the kids at his school, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. So, um, right, I've got a lot to think about here, to be honest. Uh, very, very good arguments fr- from both, to be honest. I can definitely understand and see where Dave is coming from with a lot of his arguments because I feel that way every single time I watch a Wes Anderson film. Uh, I don't think, I think the characters are a bit too kooky and a bit too sort of zany and it's not real enough. But as he said, it's, you know, it's not supposed to be real. This is supposed to be a film that you can just watch and you can escape from. Suspension of disbelief. It's a nice story to, to view. Almost like, I imagine, a bit like a fairy tale. You know what I mean? You don't really think that like, Rapunzel is going to be real, but it's nice to kind of um, just, just watch it and enjoy it, essentially. But, you know, Dave mentioned that a lot of the things that Wes Anderson is famous for, a lot of his direction and his storytelling isn't present there and it just looks very amateurish but Joel I think helped Ozzy out on this one when he said that well actually that, that makes it quite good because Wes Anderson's <laughs> pretty shit <laughs> I'm, joking, I'm joking but uh, but you know it, it was actually quite quite unique and Ozzy what you, what you said is, is you know the film is essentially about friendship and although Dave was saying that it doesn't have a very massively detailed plot as he said, that the characters are so well written and intricate enough that they, it makes up for it, and it, it, that reminded me a little bit of you know like childhood. Essentially, you've got all these memories of like great times that you had, and essentially, it, it, you know, it was it was nothing. You weren't doing anything momentous. <laughs> Speak for yourself, mate. Fucking hell. No, he was jo- just watching jo- films. So I, just- I know, I know, you spent a lot of time with me. That's why I'm saying it was momentous. <laughs> But you know, you but you remember it. You know what I mean. Yeah. You remember what you did. But even though it didn't have to be like a bank heist or whatever, and <laughs> and and for that, you know, it, it kind of rings true a lot. And for that, I think I'm going to place it on the hit list. 
I felt like with Dave's absolute venom in his last argument there that honestly I was that was scathing. That was <laughs> yeah. probably the most scathing closing statement we've ever received. Honestly, that was oh, I, I, I feel like I had to go and take a bath after it. <laughs> but so well, well done, well done, guys. Honestly, both really, really good uh, arguments there. And um, so here we're just going to try and get honest opinions. Uh, Austin, obviously you loved it as much as you said you did because you were the one who picked it. But Dave, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. Did you hate it as much as you said that you did? I actually really liked it. (laughs) I really did enjoy it. I agree with a lot of what Austin said. I'd like Wes Anderson anyway, though. But I I agree, your signature style isn't here. It's not developed. But that's probably why this is such a good introductory film for those who aren't really familiar with Wes Anderson. Don't know if it's going to be their sort of thing or not. But I really liked it. I thought, you know, the Wilsons were well cast, I thought. I thought it is a pleasant film. It's just nice. It's it's a heist movie, so there's a couple of little violent bits in it. But it's a nice film. Nothing really bad happens to anybody. It's a very easy watch very pleasant film didn't you just say oh Wilson gets arrested at the end yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, did you say somebody like, gets beaten up in the bar he, said he it ah, brings his him. life to kind of um, a, a good purpose he's okay, achieved yeah. something from it but in a w- weird kind of way it's kind of good for him and he's happy at the end of it you know even the, the one of the one of the heist robbers who has a heart attack <laughs> oh, on God, the heist yeah, yeah. Applejack was his name Applejack, I think it was yeah. yeah has a heart attack on the heist and then it's like what happened to Applejack it's like oh he's fine they let him out of prison early on health grounds it's just like he's absolutely fine and he's free you know it's just Nothing bad happens to anyone. It's just a really nice, pleasant, yeah. charming, a charming laden film, despite what I said. Okay, so you both think I made the right decision there? Yes, yes definitely. Okay, so do you think it's higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which on IMDb scored 8 out of 10? That mm. was Sin City. Definitely lower, although really strangely. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite polarising, I'm going to say lower. I'm going to go higher just because I want it to be. Okay, well, um, you're wrong, Ozzy. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, 7 out of 10. Um, so once again I, I put a poll up on Twitter over the weekend and I asked our friends and followers which list Bottle Rocket should be placed on 73 votes we got this is the closest one we've ever received 52% of listeners decided that it should be placed on the hit list Ooh. like with close, with yeah. four minutes to go we got one vote in because it was it was no it was 51 it was 49 and it was just like yeah. that, that would have been ridiculously All close so before we adjourn the case, um, it's time for a little caption contest. So what we do here is we take a screenshot of the film and we ask our friends and followers to provide a caption with the funniest one, winning a chocolatey frog-shaped treat. Okay, so this week's caption contest is essentially Owen Wilson's character pointing a gun in a field with one hand holding the barrel whilst his cohorts look on in bemusement. So you guys have just got to pick the best one starting with. Okay, I've seen this before. I think they call it Gun Cate. Um, okay, number two. And that's how Owen Wilson got his iconic nose. <laughs> um, number three, uh, a still from How to Shoot Tiny People, volume three. Uh, number four <laughs> did anybody tell him that it's not a trumpet <laughs> number five and introducing Owen Wilson as young white supremacist number four oh. uh, I, I don't know if is that a joke about Tarantino and um, uh, Django uh, with uh, Jonah Hill wasn't he in, or, or is that just not not a joke at all <laughs> anyway skipping <laughs> over that one okay. is, that what, is that what the credits are now? I, 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 well, I can't remember okay. I've just, I, I should have vetted these <laughs> okay Luke Hall Hold still. Let your brother Owen take charge. <laughs> Something that their parents have probably been saying his entire life. Um, this is how you hold a gun in Belgium. It's called a Belgian grip. 
And uh, Wes Anderson presents John Wick 4. <laughs> Obviously, you won't know what that is. No idea, but I'm, I just watched the dog scene, so yeah, that's pretty gross. Okay, so uh, what are you voting? Uh, I'll like John Wick 4, actually. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that. Quite topical. I will also go with John Wick 4 because I've literally just watched that trailer. Because now you know what he's yeah, on about. Yeah, 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 <laughs> but if, if I would have read that out to you like 40 minutes ago, oh, you would have no fucking clue. I would have no chance now. Right, okay, congratulations, Chris Racing. You have just won yourself a Freddo. <laughs> I thought we were going to miss the frog for a second. Bit of a bit of a back catalogue that was, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, so just before we call it a day, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our podcasting friends called Mouse and Weens. It's a relatively new podcast in which two sisters, aka Mouse and Weens, talk about all sorts of things from funny celebrity encounters to embarrassing campfire incidents. It's, and it's pretty funny. It's lighthearted. So do check them out on iTunes and follow them on Twitter as well, at Mouse and Weens. Okay, so our next film on trial hasn't been picked out of the hat at random but chosen by our good selves and it is the golden globe winning autobiography of dick van cheney it's vice <laughs> however <laughs> dick van cheney i'm not gonna be able to get that on my head now. <laughs> <laughs> however all the roles have been picked out of the hat at random so in the role of defense it's alex in the role of prosecution it's me in the roles of character witness are ozzy and dave and that means that joel you are going to be the judge that week so i just want to say thank you very much to everybody who has listened to this episode please remember to like share and subscribe tell your friends tell your family tell your local snitch that way the world will definitely get around and you, you know what i've listened back to the count of monte cristo episode and you know i don't think it's weird to spread warm nutella on soft bread oh no it, it totally is, totally is. They, they, that is not a weird thing right soft fresh baked bread with warm nutella that is a thing and i'm having it if right. the bread has just been baked the bread is going to be warm ergo your nutella does not need to bake <laughs> okay right, right. the bread can be baked the day before and still be soft really so nice you're also thing, ruining a whole bunch of nutella just to spread on that piece of bread no you're not no you know if, if so the what, bread is thick the enough nutella out and put it in a bowl no, if it's warm, warm enough out. if it's warm enough then it just spreads on it nice and easy Anyway, right, right, but I'm not getting into this again. <laughs> Just remember, guys, follow us on Twitter at Film Trials, where you can recommend a film for us to put on trial. Follow our fantastic graphic artist, Winston Sang, at the underscore quirks, and also check out our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Also, give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram, Films on Trial. So, thank you very much, everyone. Bottle Rocket was on trial, and it is a hit, and we will be in your ears next week with Vice. Goodbye, everyone. Uh...